Well, good morning, Lakeview Church. It's a joy to be here with you today. As Pastor Chris, Chris mentioned, my family and I have been part of this community of faith for the last year and a half or so. But Lakeview has been part of our story for maybe 20 years. When you partnered with us and God's sending us to Eastern Europe. So we're so grateful that we have been able to journey together over the, over the years. We served there for 15 years in church development, community development, before the Lord called us back to Marion, Indiana, of all places, um, where we have focused our mission engagement on mobilizing and training the next generation of global workers. When we lived in Eastern Europe, we learned this custom of sharing in celebration with others. When something good happens to you, when you get a new car or a new job, a new house, a new baby, you take your friends out for drinks, let's say it's coffee, and you treat, it's on you. The general principle is that if you've come into blessing, you pass it on to others. And if you're on the receiving end, you graciously accept knowing that you're going to have your turn to reciprocate uh, by giving generously out of what's, what you've received down the road. We experience this generosity regularly with a friend, let's call him Z for short, he lived by this code. He was always looking for a reason why it was his turn to pick up the tab. And he'd say something good happened to him, and he would pay. Our families became quite close. We lived in the same house, and we shared many joys together. And as we got to know each other better, the depth of our relationship included sharing some hard things, too. We had the honor of sharing with Z our faith, and it was a joy to watch him grow in the Lord. And sure enough, as his faith grew, he began to look for opportunities where he could pass that blessing on to other people as well. Receiving from the Lord and passing it along to others. I've come to realize this is just this is the simple formula for how God uses us to engage the world. We receive from him, and we pass it along to others. And so I'd like for you to keep this in mind as we talk about this week's paradox. In the passage that Elaine read for us, first, or 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11, Paul writes the church about two seemingly opposite things, suffering and comfort. How do suffering and hardship go with comfort and joy? Well, this passage explains their connection and how we might experience the goodness of God in unexpected ways and pass it along to others. Well, let's start with the first one, our favorite, right? Suffering. It's the one we all love. What is suffering? Suffering has been defined as a state of undergoing pain, distress, and hardship. It's a rather relative concept. There are varying degrees of suffering. Um, it might, be, might take the form of a, a big T trauma that is an experience or an event like running for your life, 
from war or being persecuted for your faith, being physically assaulted. It could also take the form of little t trauma, the loss of a job or relationship. And experts say that compounded little t traumas can be just as emotionally wounding, damaging as a big T trauma. So there's no need for us to compare and minimize or figure out, well, do I really know anything about suffering? It's all valid. And this passage, you can be sure, can apply to you. So let me ask you, how do you feel about suffering as a general rule? Love it? Yeah, not, not real crazy about it. I mean, how, mu- how many of us really enjoy suffering? Not many. And let's face it, most of us tend to even avoid the slightest inconvenience, let alone sign up for suffering. Not many of us are going to hang out at the BMV for fun, right? Or wait in line at the post office. We don't even like that. But what does this passage tell us about how common suffering is in the Christian life? Let's read verses 5 through 9 again. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, comfort which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Suffering is showing up a lot here, right? It seems to be viewed as a normal part of at least Paul's Christian experience. In the early church, sufferings flow, hardships abound. Trouble and pressure are certainly part of living life on mission for God. All the signs point to an increase in this, not a decrease. Instead of avoiding the hard places and situations where we might suffer for his name, church, it may be time for us to embrace suffering as a normal part, expected part of living for God in a fallen world. Suffering is a normal part of living for God in a fallen world. We live in a broken world, and we're in this space between the already and the not yet of the kingdom of God. And on this side of heaven, suffering is simply going to be part of the equation. But there is good news. Christ is king. And God brings about his redemptive purposes through suffering. 
My family is in, in the middle of a, a renovation project and, and a move, and I have Googled enough do-it-yourself projects that the search engines know that I am a sucker for a good trash-to-treasure tutorial. <laughs> so these are popping up in my, uh, my feed quite a bit. I just love when people uh, find this dumpy piece of furniture and then they transform it into this beautiful family heirloom. And I watch these time-lapsed videos and I think to myself, I can do that. I'll just strip it, restain it, paint it, chop off the legs, put on new ones, slap on some new hardware. It's going to be awesome. And I'll totally, I'll do it all in my spare time. <laughs> well, God is into repurposing too. And unlike me, he lacks no skill in it, and he's not limited by time constraints. God repurposes suffering for our joy and his glory. Paul found meaning and purpose in his distress and hardship. He puts it this way in Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Paul rejoiced in suffering. He viewed it as a way to grow the church and to be like Christ, who Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. When we suffer, we model the gift of Christ's suffering for us, and we become more like him. We become more like him. Of course, nothing we could do, nothing we can go through can ever compare to what Christ has gone through for us. Still, I don't know about you, but my light and momentary troubles, they're enough to leave me feeling pretty weighed down and depressed sometimes. And it's a comfort to know that I can be like Christ, the man of sorrows. I can be like Paul. In the midst of hardship, whether it's persecution or just troubles and stresses of life, and I can find purpose and even joy in it. Joy. We've defined suffering now let's take a minute to define joy. My favorite definition of joy comes from an author, Jim Wilder, who defines joy as a glad-to-be-together state that is amplified between two minds that are glad to be together in a particular moment. I love that. Just like the Easter story doesn't end with the sufferings of Christ, there's also more for us regarding the struggles that we face. This passage doesn't just teach us about how we should expect to suffer, but it also lets us know that we can expect the joy of God's presence with us. We can be in a glad-to-be-together state with God who joins us. He's with us, and it's not dependent on our circumstances. So let's consider three ways, 
from this passage where we see God repurposing suffering for joy. The first one is that he repurposes suffering for our joy by revealing his compassion and comfort. Listen to uh, Paul's words again in verses 3 through 5. The Father of compassion and the God of all comfort comforts us in all our troubles. Just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Another version says, just as the sufferings of Christ flow into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. God's not far off. He is with us. In fact, that word compassion means to suffer with. God is the father of compassion. He comes quickly to our aid and he meets us in hardships. And I dare say we're much more keenly aware of his presence when we're going through difficult times. As C.S. Lewis has said, pain is God's megaphone. So even something like hardship can be a gift that ushers us into the sweetness of God's presence. He nurtures joy, a glad-to-be-together state by being with us in suffering. It's also worth noting this word, comfort. It doesn't mean pity. And it's not designed to make us comfortable. (laughs) The Greek word here is, is found many times in the New Testament, and it's sometimes translated as console, urge, encourage, beseech, exhort, plead, appeal. I can almost picture God cheering us on. You can do it. You can make it. I am with you. It's an empowering word. The type of comfort that we receive from God, the comfort that we pass on to others, is an empowering comfort that lends strength to endure and overcome adversity. Verse 6 says, Comfort which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. So suffering can be a corridor through which God leads us into the joy of his presence by revealing his compassion and comfort. Another way that God repurposes suffering is to reinforce our trust and hope in him. Let's look at verse 9 again. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. It would be one thing to say, this happened so that we would not rely on ourselves, but on the one who is able to prevent death from happening. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of faith I like to have. My God can prevent bad things from happening to me. I ask him to do that. How inspiring, how challenging. It's a whole nother next level type of faith that says, even if the worst happens, 
my God can undo it. He's God of the resurrection. And that's Easter right there, isn't it? God is the great undoer of the worst that could come our way. He conquered the grave. He raised the dead. He's coming again to establish his kingdom and fullness and levy the final blow against the enemy. He is able to stand up under the full weight of our trust and hopes. Pain, distress, struggle, they make our faith real. And a great source of joy for us. When Trent and I were first married, finances were pretty tight. He was in seminary, and I was looking for employment. And, uh, you know, I grew up not in a, a really wealthy family, but, you know, we always bought Quaker Oats, instant oatmeal instead of the Meyer, or we well, didn't have Meyer back then, but Walmart brand, you know, so I was living large. <laughs> and, and I wasn't used to being in need. And so there, I found myself in this place of need. And it was really humbling to line up for the food pantry where we got donated food, uh, two, three-day-old bread from the bakeries. I was embarrassed. And then one Sunday, we went to a service, and, and the, the message was on giving to those in need. And after the service, this, uh, this young man, he was a teenager, he came up to us, Frankie, and he said he had a check for us that was made out to him, but he had signed it over to us. And he said, when the pastor was talking about giving to people in need, and I just felt the Holy Spirit say, I was supposed to give this to you. <laughs> oh, man, I was so humbled. It was hard. Then when we went to pay Trent's bill, the same day it was due, last day, we paid as much as we could. He wasn't going to be able to take any classes until it was paid. We turned around to the post boxes and found a letter from Aunt Louise saying, I don't know why, but God laid you on my heart and he told me to send you this amount of money. And it was just a couple of dollars over what we owed for his bill. It was such a difficult time of learning to trust, but I remember feeling, thinking then, oh, how God loves me. He wasn't willing for me just to think I trusted him. He wanted me to know what it felt like to rely on him by going through some hardship. Finally, God repurposes suffering to refine our witness to the world. Look at, 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 at verse 6 again. If we are distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it's for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer, which would be the comfort and salvation of others, right? You see this loop. What if what you've been through or what you're going through now is for someone else's benefit. 
for someone else's salvation or to encourage someone else to keep going so that others can be comforted and saved through them. Remember the Eastern European custom of sharing your blessings? Whatever we've received from God is meant to be passed on to to others. We are conduits or conductors of Christ's comfort, which is his resurrection power at work in our lives. As a college student, I was diagnosed with an illness that uh, brought with it increased cancer risks. And I was really, really troubled by this. It seemed like it was the kind of thing that might prevent me from serving the Lord overseas as I felt called. And during that time, God miraculously healed me. So it was totally a case of of reinforcing my, my trust and hope in him. But then a few years into our ministry in Eastern Europe, it came back. It came back. And I was really struggling again with fear and anger. Now my friend E, Z's wife, she knew I had been through that before, and she had a friend that she really wanted me to encourage. She was reaching out to So I met with her, and I shared my story, but I decided I'd just be really honest and share how I was was struggling. It was taking faith to trust God could do it again. And I, I felt kind of sheepish about that. You know, missionaries are supposed to always have it together and have all the right answers, right? But I shared vulnerably about how I was struggling with doubt, how God was meeting me, what I was hearing, Uh, from him and his word and how I was choosing to trust him. Sometime later, when Z and E got the news that he had cancer, she was obviously, as a wife, walking through a very difficult situation. And she reminded me of the time I let her see me struggle to trust God. And she said that she learned how to trust God with difficult things by watching me surrender my fears to God. So the opportunity to hear my story, even mid-process, was something God used. Sometimes the refining of our witness doesn't have to be complete before it's pretty powerful. Do we have any electricians in the room? Oh, good. I, oh, one. Okay. Well, Chris, a couple. Well, I was going to make stuff up, but um, <laughs> you guys can, you know, set me straight later. Um, I'm no electrician, but my friends, Google and Wikipedia, they've, they've uh, taught me a few things and helped me to understand some of the characteristics of conductors versus insulators. So conductors... Things like silver, copper, gold, they don't hold on to a free electron that comes into them. They release it and pass it on. They receive it and release it. Insulators, like wood or glass or plastic, on the other hand, they hold a free electron. This is why, you know, you want to be grounded. You know, you don't grab a metal broom, you grab a 
wood broom. If, you know, I don't know. I'm getting out of my territory here. Now, there's a need for a complete circuit for electrons to pass into and out of for electric power to flow. Are you tracking with me? First, there has to be a connection to a power source, right? But if power only flows in and has no place to go, it's called a short circuit. The power stops and the lights fade. God has created us to be lights in a dark world. And our ability to engage in mission starts with us being connected to the power source so that we're receiving his comfort, his encouragement, his resurrection power. But it has to pass through us. It's not something we can hold on to. If the power is only coming in and doesn't go out to spread light to the darkest places, there's a short circuit. Power stops the lights dim. The most conductive metal is silver, even when it's tarnished and not polished. Silver also happens to be the most thermally conductive and light reflecting metal. It it, it shines, it, it conducts energy, even if it's if, if it's not shiny. What can make it less conductive is the presence of impurities, which can't be polished out. They can only be removed by being put through fire, melted down where the dross can be removed. Now, I don't know what you're thinking, but I, I both love and hate this analogy. Malachi chapter 3, verse 3, refers to God as a refiner of silver who purifies his people so they can serve him better and offer a better sacrifice. Folks, we don't have to be polished and shiny for God to use us. But if there is sin in our lives, he may repurpose suffering to refine our witness to the world. God brings joy and hardship by repurposing suffering to reveal his compassion and comfort, to reinforce our hope and trust in him, and to refine our witness in the world. In a couple of weeks, uh, we're going to celebrate the death and resurrection of Christ. Although as modern-day Christians, we tend to avoid suffering, It is core to our story. It's part of our DNA. God can use suffering to lead us into his presence, to deepen our reliance on him. It's the spiritual equivalent of having the dross removed so that Christ's comfort, joy, and power flow in us and through us to others until the lights come on and shine brightly all over the world. 
What do we do with this? We're going to spend a little time praying. You know, Paul, at the end of this passage, he told the Corinthians that they had helped God deliver them through their prayers. This isn't something we do all by ourselves. God is with us and we're with each other. So we want to take some time to pray for each other and pray for God to deliver those who are suffering in the world. And as we do this, the altar is going to be open. If, if, if you want extra prayer, um, you, can, you can come. You can stand where you are. Just raise your hand if you need people to come around you. But I have a few questions for reflection. How are you connecting with God to receive his comfort and compassion? Not his pity, but his encouragement, his urging, his power to endure. You can trust in the one who's not only able to keep what you fear from happening, he's able to undo the worst with his resurrection power. And then how are you learning to trust and hope in the Lord? What control do you need to release in order to trust him more? And then finally, who might God want to bless through your witness? It may mean giving sacrificially, taking part in the global engagement, uh, giving that we're gonna do over this next month. It, It has to involve sharing your lives and what you've received from the Lord with those who desperately need to experience the comfort of the Father. So who is that? Maybe it's someone here in this room that God's laying on your heart. Maybe it's someone at work, at home. Or maybe God's stirring you be willing to situate your life in a place that's really dark. There's still four in 10 around the world who lack a tangible witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we're not willing to embrace suffering as part of the equation, I fear they're never going to be reached. It's going to take going. So let me pray for us and just stand where you are if you need prayer, raise a hand or come forward. Oh God, we look to you as the father of all compassion, the God of all comfort. We watch the news and we see what's going on in the world. We take a look at our own lives and it's overwhelming. There's so much suffering. Be with us. We need your compassion. We need your comfort. We take joy in your presence. Lord, I pray for those who are just going through it right now. Would you just give them a special reminder of your presence with them that you're so near 
And Lord, I pray for those that you want us to witness to. Lord, even now, just put on our hearts and minds the names of of people and people groups and places that you're hurting with and you want us to share your comfort with. And Lord, we do pray for the situation in Ukraine and Russia. There's so much suffering there. We're hearing and seeing images every day. Would you intervene in that situation, O oh God of compassion and comfort? Would you draw people to you and deepen, reinforce trust and hope in you and, and bring your kingdom purposes? And for all these things, Lord, we will give you the praise and the glory because you are so deserving of it. In Jesus' name I pray.